What is Cracker Lacking Hardwood Knox, listeners and watchers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with basically a news and rumor roundup. It seems like we have something to talk about. Uh, nothing's happening with the Jazz, so we won't even touch upon upon them. Not even a little bit. We will actually. Donovan Mitchell stuff. Before we get started, though, please, please, pretty please, with sugar on top. If this is your first time listening to us, consider throwing us that permanent subscription on YouTube. Or subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your podcast. We are available on all your podcast players. It helps us out a ton if you can throw us likes as well. Comment on the videos. Throw us reviews on Spotify and Apple as well, even if you're not using them. And again, if you're watching this on YouTube, please consider throwing us that subscription. Let's really continue to build up the community. We have a follower. Uh, excuse me, a very lofty subscriber goal by the time next season starts. And we would love it if you could help us hit it. We don't take ourselves too seriously around these parts. And it's mainly me and I'm a clown. So I don't take myself too seriously. And I try and do as thorough and entertaining a job as possible of covering the entire league at large, which brings us to there are other notes aside from this. We will talk about some other teams and other players, but the big news rumor nugget of the day is Donovan Mitchell maybe on the block in Utah. Woj essentially reported that Danny Ainge, CEO and alternative governor, how's that for a title, of the team, is no longer shutting other suitors down when they call about Mitchell. And they had called, obviously, um, in the wake of Rudy Gobert being moved, and I'm sure also beforehand, because teams are constantly having discussions. And we know about uh, maybe 1% of the talks that actually happen when you really get behind the scenes and know like what's being exchanged and what scenarios, excuse me, what scenarios are at play and just all the different balls that are that are in the air there. So Donovan Mitchell can apparently be had for the right price. That's not really shocking because as Justin Zanuck said, uh, he isn't looking, the Jazz aren't looking to trade Donovan Mitchell per se, but that nobody is untouchable. Look, when you view this from the Jazz perspective, there were a bunch of Jazz fans in our YouTube comments and on Twitter that said, no, they, they're going to rebuild around Mitchell. That was the report. That was, that was like just never going to be the thing. And I'm not even saying they might that they'll 100% move Mitchell before the season. I think what drove up the asking price for Rudy Gobert was the fact that the Jazz were okay not moving him. And when we look at these offers, what they got specifically for Rudy Gobert, roughly $2 trillion first-round picks, uh, or the equivalent, however you want to value those, if if you don't see a second team or a third team or another suitor that was going to as aggressively go after Rudy Gobert— you might just decide, well, then Minnesota overpaid. Maybe Minnesota did overpay. But if you thought that the Jazz weren't going to trade Rudy Gobert otherwise, it wasn't a matter of, oh, the Hawks went after them with this offer. Or I don't even know what other team would have. Or the Charlotte Hornets went in with this offer. Or the Blazers tried to do this. It could have just been a matter of the Jazz were going to keep him. They were prepared to run it back or to at least keep Rudy Gobert. It's going to be the same story with Donovan Mitchell now. He is really good. He will improve their record a great deal. If they keep him, their roster that they have now, the moves can't be done even if you keep Mitchell. It's just, it's so damn guard heavy. But he's not someone who's going to torpedo like your retooling or your rebuild if you hold on to him. So I I think there is, I probably would bet against it at this point, him starting the season in Utah. But there's still a scenario in which this leaks into the season. Uh, but to have discounted it or dismissed it altogether before now just because that's what the Jazz were saying or that's what was coming out via Woj and some other reporters, it's just like that's not how this works. And the writing wasn't just on the wall. Like the Jazz said it 
themselves in the move with Rudy Gobert that they were open for business, that they were going to try and enter a different era. There have been rumblings for years that Donovan Mitchell wouldn't stay in Utah long-term anyway. And so looking at his contract to see that there are only three years left, um, the trade request, like trade request territory, I'm not saying it would have came or maybe it came already. This is why this whole thing is out there. But my point being, once you get to two years left before free agency, unless you're Kevin Durant, apparently, like that's when you sort of enter these trade request territories. And that's something the Jazz had to think about. Maybe, look, the stuff with Mitchell and not liking Utah could be overblown. I don't think the stuff with him and Rigo Bear is necessarily overblown. I don't think the concerns about the Jazz's chemistry last year were overblown overall. But there are elements of this entire story that have been exaggerated. And so I'm not saying Utah is the shittiest place to play or is a crappy organization. I think the organization has proven itself. It could not get over that hump, but they did a really good job of developing some guys, including Rudy Gobert, finding Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal as well. They made a couple of all-in trades when you look at Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, and when you also look at uh, Boyan Bogdanovich was through free agency, but you get my point. Trading for Mike Conley, that proved to be not enough, and then maybe they didn't go in hard enough after that with what limited assets they have. The organization is, look, I, I thought that this era of jazz bas- basketball, it's over. I think it's it's over. I mean, Rudy Gobert left. It's over. It's disappointing, but only because those expectations of something greater existed to begin with. I, however, respect this idea that you don't want... They weren't quite in the middle, but they were sub-contenders, and they clearly want to be something more. And so if you're allowing yourself to entertain offers for Donovan Mitchell, you are at least providing clarity, chasing a separate direction. And that's something that... I can respect because there are teams that time and again have failed to do that. I think you can point to the Knicks as one, and this is not a Knicks for click situation. Um, the Kings, for sure. The, the Charlotte Hornets might be the epitome of chasing mediocrity in the NBA. So I think this is the right move if the Jazz weren't going to go all in on other moves. And this is to say, what other moves were there for them to go all in on? You can prioritize cap flexibility moving forward. That's just not, it wouldn't have meant a lot to begin with. Free agents were never flocking to Utah in droves. And also players aren't leaving in free agency anymore. It's happening via trade or you're finding stars in the draft. Uh, And also the trade market right now, aside from Kevin Durant, like who is the best player that is realistically gettable? Even just dig deep and think about who we're not talking about. Is it, you know, John Collins, but we've talked about him a bunch. Is it, is it who? Is if people are gonna if it's OG Ananobi, and I don't think the Raptors are as quick to want to get rid of him as people think, that's also kind of a problem because he's not he's not someone who's he's someone who makes your team a lot better. OG Ananobi is fantastic. But if you go and make a consolidation trade for OG Ananobi, is Donovan Mitchell, OG Ananobi, whatever's left over, is that still a contender? It's still the basis maybe for a longer term vision, but you're still prioritizing the the longer term. So like I, I respect the decision that the Jazz seem to be making here. I also don't think it's a coincidence that this came out right when the Miami Herald reported the Heat were doing everything within their power to get Kevin Durant. It was just sort of to reshift focus to, well, you know, Donovan Mitchell's out here too. Like, you can throw your best offers on the table, and that just might be a matter of of what this is um, by Danny Ainge and co. So I think the Jazz, by moving Donovan Mitchell, are making the— I ultimately think they're making the right decision if and when that move actually happens, and I do think it's— it's safe to say it's fait accompli now. Maybe it doesn't happen right away. Maybe it doesn't even happen leading into the next season. But now that it's out there this much, that Woj phrased it and reported it the way that he did, it feels like this is the end. And it kind of felt like that for a while, but this is more so confirmation. 
Now we get into trade destinations for Donovan Mitchell, and there are all the obvious candidates. I think the two that will stand out the most, and so let's hit them. Let's begin with the Miami Heat, uh, who are just going to be involved in every star chase until the end of time. Uh, they do need another half-court creator. Donovan Mitchell, they have the defenders in Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo to make up for him. Even Kyle Lowry, if we're assuming they keep him as part of the deal. And it's a lot easier to get to Donovan Mitchell's salary, which is 28 uh, excuse me, 30.3 million, about 30.4 this upcoming season. And it is for uh, Kevin Durant's salary, which checks in at 44.1. So you could feasibly, it's Hero, it's Robinson, and then all the salary filler that you can cobble together. Like you will be able to, to get there theoretically, I think, without using Kyle Lowry if you don't want to. Still, the framework is it's Tyler Hero salary filler, because even if Lowry's involved in this trade, he's probably going to a third team. Uh, and. It's like, why would Utah have any interest in him, uh, just given the direction that they're going? But the the framework is Tyler Hero, Nikoliovich, and you could talk about Struz Gabe Vincent, but I'm talking meat and potatoes of this deal. Tyler Hero, Nikoliovich, and then you're just giving away your draft for however many years that you can. And if you're, they have the 2025 pick owed to OKC under conditions, uh, maybe you can negotiate that so that it's unprotected and that you know it will convey in which case you can do your 2023 pick, a 2024 swap, your 2026 swap, a 2027 pick, a 2028 swap, and then a 2029 pick. And so it's control over six first-round picks eventually, unless I just did my order there wrong, which no, I didn't. You're talking first and 23, 27, 29, swaps in 24, 26, and 28. That's I think that's a heck of a haul. If you're Utah, I do believe you have to consider that Tyler here is about to be paid. The way this restricted free agency works, uh, while I may not be the biggest fan of it overall, it does ensure that you could keep Tyler Hero beyond um, just next season. But you have to be sure that you want him. Um, that's where I think maybe the uh, Heat's best offer runs out of steam. Um, so there is that to consider. Also, for people who are concerned about Bam Adebayo and Donovan Mitchell being on the same team, you can only trade for one player on a designated uh, rookie, like who signed a designated rookie deal. Um, but you can have up to two if you signed one of them. You know, you you signed one of them before their rookie scale. You had them on their rookie scale contract and then um, signed them to that. So you didn't even have to draft them. But as long as they were on your team before their rookie scale was up, um, you can have up to two of those. You can only have one of the traded players. So yes, I believe Bam Adebayo and Donovan Mitchell can play together. If that was a concern for everyone, I don't anyone. Excuse me, I don't know if the offer we're lining out up like just came up with is going to be the best that Utah sees. I also don't really know what to expect from the Donovan Mitchell trade market. You look at the Gobert price tag and I've been a very staunch believer in Kevin Durant is not going to fetch as much as people think that he is just given his age. And the fact he's only given two teams that he wants to go to uh, Donovan Mitchell's different. He doesn't turn 26 until September. So we're talking age 26 Donovan Mitchell versus age 34 Kevin Durant. We're not even, it's not about the players. It's just knowing that he's so much younger. If if he wants to be on your team, you're talking about getting the next six to nine years of Donovan Mitchell, which in his prime, like that is a star that can help you win. So that's why I do think that there could be a comparable get here for Utah unless Donovan Mitchell, unlike what Rudy Gobert did, which contributed to that asking price going through the roof, if he says, well, I'm only going to talk to New York or Miami. 
and like those are the only teams that I'm going to promise that I'm I want to be there long term. They have three years to figure it out, so you can trade for him anyway, and maybe you're more willing to make that dice roll because he is so young. But that is a way that he could drive down his price tag, just given the way that players are moving now, or that you're acquiring stars. It's the draft itself, or through trades. It wouldn't surprise me if we're talking about a haul that seems more illustrious than what Utah got for Rudy Gobert. The other obvious team here is the Knicks. Tony Jones of The Athletic, friend of the podcast, uh, reported that everyone, <laughs> league sources, expect the Knicks to be involved. Uh, I would concur. Donovan Mitchell was kind of circled as one of their primary targets long-term once Leon Rose came aboard. It was him, Carl Anthony Towns, and, uh, and Devin Booker at the time. Uh, that did not work out so well for them with Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns. The Knicks do have a, a crap ton of draft picks, and the way they work out, um, they could get creative early on to where they're sending out their own. Because if you're a team, and because they own like picks from Dallas and Detroit and Washington, they're protected, you're going to prefer Knicks picks anyway. You can get a little creative uh, because you're New York, and you can trade your 2023 pick, your 2024 pick, and your 2025 pick. You can trade all your own first in that regard. If I'm Utah, those are not the picks that I'm as interested in. You're going to see how far the Knicks will go out anyway, but you're probably looking at, uh, yeah, just post-dating Donovan Mitchell's current deal or just like at least two to three years out. And Mitchell is slated right now for free agency in 2025, which I think he has a player option. That's just in time for the projected salary cap spike. So I think for starters, that's like the earliest draft pick that you would care about. So it's three drafts away. You don't 2023, 2024. If the Knicks have Donovan Mitchell, you expect them to not be, you know, if they're a lottery team, they're not going to be one of the worst ones. And so that's where the Knicks can like, they can still get a little creative, but they can't trade um, just all their first picks because they have these other teams picks. Um, they would have to do swaps still. It's just That's just my point. That's me not being able to, to verbalize what I'm thinking, I suppose. So if you're the Knicks, though, you could include, in, in terms of physical picks, you could include up to, I think, eight physical first-round picks, and that's not even counting swaps. You do have a host of intriguing younger players, uh, R.J. Barrett being the top one, Obi Toppin, Cam Reddish, Manuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, Miles McBride. Uh, so you do have a lot of different offers that you could build. Where the Knicks are going to struggle here is their primary salary matching is either, one, can't be traded right now, looking at Jalen Brunson, who just signed, um, Isaiah Hartenstein, he doesn't even make that much, but like those two guys who can't be traded, or they're sort of considered net negative money, where Julius Randle, about to begin a four-year, I think it's the $112 million extension. If he plays kind of like he did at the close this season or just anything like he did during 2021, that deal looks like a steal against the rising cap. But for a team like Utah, that doesn't really jive with the timeline. Evan Fournier, two more guaranteed years at about $36.9 million. Uh, that's not going to be something that Utah values. And so now all of a sudden you have to compensate them for taking on those deals. Certainly Fournier, maybe you can rope third and fourth teams in that are happy to send out expiring money for Julius Randle. Like you're not going to get, I, I don't think you get any real asset value out of Julius Randle, even if you try to reroute him. And so then it becomes very tough to salary match you're looking primarily at okay Derek Rose on expiring deal he could become a member of the Jazz again he has a team option in 23-24 for anyone who's wondering that's 14.5 million then there's RJ Barrett who's making 10.9 next year 
you can still get to Donovan Mitchell's money without including RJ Barrett. It's Obi Toppin has to be in it at 5.4 million. And then you have Cam Reddish at about six. Um, that like that almost gets you there. Uh, you're talking about, you know, let's say $12 million there on top of Rose's 14. That's $26 million. That's probably even enough uh, to do some quick quick math here. Uh, and if it's not, you're going to fall just short, and that's where you— it, No, it is enough to get you there. Now, that's not the primary—that's not all you're going to be sending out anyway. I would imagine that the Jazz, if they're not going to get Barrett, you're definitely getting two of Quickly, Grimes, and Toppin. And so you might be using Toppin and Reddish and Rose as your primary salary matching tools— but then one of Quickly or Grimes will be in there. If I am the Knicks, I'm including as many picks and uh, non-R.J. Barrett prospects as it takes just to keep R.J. Barrett. I think he becomes really important if you want uh, to survive defensively while playing Brunson and Donovan Mitchell a ton of minutes at the same time. I want to make it clear, too, that Donovan Mitchell was really good at basketball. I would just prefer to see him as on a team where that he's going to elevate them to contention or make them a title favorite, he doesn't do that for the Knicks. And that's just been sort of my qualm with the Jalen Brunson, is it feels like, I don't want to say this would necessarily be the mellow trade all over again for the Knicks, but it feels like they will have jumped through all these hoops, um, given up all this flexibility, or gone all in, because fuck flexibility, that's fine, whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. But they will have gone all in on a core that tops out as what? like the four seed in the East and maybe never makes a conference finals. Um, I don't know what happens four or five years down the line. Donovan Mitchell's still so young, but if you're giving up that much draft equity, uh, you're in trouble. So like, you're not going to be able to make all these other moves moving forward. Maybe you believe that free agents will eventually start moving around again and they'll want to go to New York, but that's been a belief uh, for years and it really just hasn't panned out Uh, to Donovan Mitchell's credit though. I think, you know, there was some, everything on Twitter is, is basically condescending at this point where people were like, oh, I feel like no one knows how good Donovan Mitchell is anymore because he had a rough postseason. I really just don't think that's it. I think certain teams are in a situation where unless you're skewing so young where you're going to have assets to spare and you want Donovan Mitchell there or you're just at the top of the mountain, the teams that are closer in the middle uh, without him actually elevating you to championship contention, it's fine if they don't want him or if the fan base doesn't want him. I will say... This is someone who can be the driving force of an offense, including in the postseason. Like this past year, things got rough, but we've seen him have big postseason moments in the past. Uh, even this, even let's look at this regular season. Like he's never been the the most efficient offensive player, but he has improved his off the dribble game shooting a great deal while he's been in the league. And the shot selection can be a little bit iffy, but a lot of it is kind of born. From necessity, when you look at looked at Utah's roster, you were going to rely on Mike Conley or Jordan Clarkson to create off the bounce if it wasn't him. And the volume, the, the, the clip that he shot relative to the volume that he uh, cannibalized, whatever you want to call it, put him in some pretty good company. He shot 35.6% during the regular season on off-the-dribble threes. Uh, here's every player who shot as well on off-the-dribble threes um, while taking at least five a game. Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Steph Curry. That is it. Jason Tatum was below 34%. James Harden was below 34%. Those are all better players than Mitchell, but like he is a level of shot maker that is incredibly valuable. And so I'm not going to fault teams if they do go full bore after him. And I think he's someone who has the potential to actually not suck on defense. Um, and maybe just being in a different situation revitalizes him. Where we saw Devin Booker improve a bunch on the ball once his team got better around and was playing for something. Maybe Mitchell just wants a 
a change of scenery. Still, I do think Donovan Mitchell is a spectacular player. Do I believe if you're a team like the Knicks in the middle, firmly in the middle of the pack, that you should give up the kitchen sink and more to get him? No. I think if I was to set sort of a limit, I, again, I would rather see him on teams that are further away just because they they technically have more flexibility when you look at the range of outcomes with their younger players. When you go to the Knicks, it's sort of like, that's why you need R.J. Barrett because he is that potential star mystery box. Also, if I'm Utah, R.J. Barrett's really good, but he's about to get paid. And do you want to reinvest? He's extension eligible now, restricted free agent in 23. Do you want to start off your rebuild by funneling a bunch of money? What will probably be a nine-figure, a near-max, if not a max deal into him? Maybe you don't care, but that that would be... That would be a weird or bizarre decision. I would understand if you prioritize draft equity more, especially if it's just controlling uh, the Knicks draft picks moving forward. You know, having just a chunk, the majority of both the Knicks and Timberwolves' draft futures, historically, that would prove to be an incredibly smart decision. So I do think the Knicks package, even without R.J. Barrett, can be super attractive. They can load it up with first-round picks. I just, without R.J. Barrett in it, it does sort of lack the luster of the immediate oomph where I think even if Miami is including Tyler Hero, um, like having that element of it, that's what R.J. Barrett brings to the table for them. Another team that I've seen mentioned a bunch, uh, I wouldn't say, I, I agree with it, uh, Toronto, just because they could use another half-court shot creator. They have the rangy defenders to make up for any shortcomings on Mitchell's behalf. Uh, Fred Van Fleet is so good on defense that you can play the Donovan Mitchell-Fred Van Fleet backcourt size that you're giving up, be damned. I think what becomes an issue here is you're not giving up Siakam or Fred Van Fleet in those trades. Neither of those, maybe Siakam would intrigue Utah, but like if you're rebuilding, which is what you're doing if you trade Donovan Mitchell, those aren't guys you're going after. You're not giving up Scotty Barnes for Donovan Mitchell. It's just, one, you do still have to worry about him leaving uh, in a shorter span of time than you would with KD. It's just that he is younger. Unless he says he loves Toronto, like that's where he wants to be forever. Even then, I just wouldn't, I think... I don't know if Donovan Mitchell has top 10 player potential. And I know some people watch Scotty Barnes and don't think he's that. I've watched him and that's what I feel he is. And so if I value him like that, I'm not giving him up for, for Donovan Mitchell. Then where it gets iffy, you're saying, okay, well, so you have to give up Ananobi and Trent. And like that kind of loses some of the appeal because someone like Ananobi would be tasked with covering up a lot for Donovan Mitchell defensively. You don't have to give up, in theory, Ananobi and Trent. It would definitely cost you Ananobi because I think Utah need, needs that like immediate sheen it's gonna but you can build a deal with Ananobi salary or Gary Trent Jr.'s and then just load it up you have you have salary filler um Ken Burge can help get you there Precious Achua Malachi Flynn um that might just get you to that point uh even just look Ken Burch at 6.7 let's use OG Ananobi here at 17.4 uh you're at 24 million dollars already yeah you can get to Donovan Mitchell with three or four players and only give up one of Ananobi or or GTJ, and then load it up with picks. That's not an option I would dismiss if I were the Raptors and Don Mitchell's open to staying. Uh, again, I know his shot selection is iffy, but you put him just on sort of this team where there's a lot more other shot creators uh, around him than he has in Utah, and that's not to dismiss Mike Conley or Jordan Clarkson, but Van Fleet and Siakam, and then let's say they still have GTJ and um, Scotty Barnes. Like That's just a different level of talent and depth when you when you combine it. So I I like the Raptors as a Mitchell destination, but I'm not giving up Scotty Barnes. And I'm not giving up both Ananobi and Trent to do it. I think that detracts from it a, a ton. Ideally, maybe because you don't think Donovan Mitchell is worth 
like the full draft boat on his own. If the Jazz were just like, yeah, we'll take control of your draft and just give us GTJ and then the rest of the salary filler. Um, I don't know how confident I'd feel about that if I'm Utah, just because Toronto is such a well-run organization. Still, that is that is something you could look at. Some other teams that I think deserve uh, to be mentioned here. Uh, Cleveland, I don't, I would love to see I would love to see Mitchell playing with Garland and Mobley. And so what can you build uh, where you're willing to uncork or untether everyone except those guys plus any picks that Utah would want? I I don't know, like, if you're giving up Akbaji and Okoro in there as well, is Utah interested in the Sexton sign-and-trade? I don't know that they would want Jared Allen. I mean, him at $20 million a year per seems about market value, and he's really good. And so just to have that, maybe that, I think you would insist on him being in there. It helps with salary matching, one. Um, and that's a deal you want, I would say, on your books moving forward. He has four years and $80 million left with the cap rising. You could flip that later if you wanted. Or he's still really young. I think he just played out his age 23 season, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was, yeah. So he's going into his age 24 season. I don't know if that offer is aggressive enough. You would really have to love Jared Allen. But maybe you're also fine with, well, we want uh, control of, of Cleveland's draft. And that's a little bit complicated by the fact that they currently owe um oh no they don't owe, they owe a first round pick to indiana but it's only it's lottery protected next year and then like that's it like there's no encumbrances there and if you're utah i am more interested in the distant cleveland picks uh, maybe there's a little bit riskier there because you're like well that means mobley and garland and mitchell are further into their prime so they're technically better I just don't think distant first-round picks are the way to go. Would love Donovan Mitchell on the Cavs. I just don't think they have the equity to get him. Ditto for Dallas, who definitely doesn't have the equity to get him. It's just, you could throw every first-round pick possible on the table, and we're looking at a 24 swap, a 25 pick, 26 swap, 27 pick, 28 swap, and a 2029 pick. And then, like, take your pick of, of salary filler here. I mean, they have THJ, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dallas Bertans. Christian Wood, Dwight Powell, Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba. Just not, I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith, if you could get him. Uh, at that point, though, it's, I just, I think they need more tangible assets, more actual player assets than just their picks. I think there needs to be a balance struck here where there's even at least one centerpiece, tangible centerpiece, one player centerpiece, uh, or a, a collection of players that can at least amount to that, even if the picks are sort of the the featured event of any proposal. I don't think Dallas could get there. Would love him in Dallas, though, next to Luka. Uh, would also have loved Jalen Brunson in Dallas next to Luka, in case anybody cares. I thought about Detroit would be super interesting, just putting him next to Cade Cunningham. And how much would you actually need to give up in addition to Jaden Ivey if you're making this deal? They're just not. I, I can't picture them going all in like that. I do think Mitchell Cunningham would be a fantastic duo. And if you are allowed to keep Jalen Duran as part of that deal, or at least, and Zadig Bay, like if you're able to get away with that, Jaden Ivey and then the pick special, uh, maybe, maybe the Jazz have interest in Isaiah Stewart. Uh, Isaiah Livers has been blown up in Summer League. I just, I can't picture Detroit wanting to get involved there. I thought about Indiana for a minute, but just like you're not going to give up Benedict Matherin now. And to keep you, Jazz would insist upon Halliburton, and you're not giving him up. But just between having Benedict Matherin and uh, Chris Duarte, and then giving up control of your draft, maybe, and do you want Miles Turner with third team? Are there more assets going there? I, I would love to see it. I just don't see the Pacers getting involved. And that's, I'm just going through teams where I could see a fit that have been talked about. Both LA teams are out of the, the question here. Sorry, Lakers fans. It's just, 
Russell Westbrook and you know, 2027 and 2029 first plus two swaps aren't getting you Donovan Mitchell. I saw some people mention the Grizzlies. I can't get there. Even if they can get there with a package, you're not going to give up John Morant, of course. I just feel like the team loses a lot of its appeal if you're giving up either both Desmond Bain and Zaire Williams and then all his picks. Even if then you are going to give up Jaron Jackson Jr., is that someone the Jazz even want given his current injury and that he's already been paid? I do think a deal, it could be made if you're willing to put Zaire Williams and uh, Desmond Bain on the table. I just question, okay, well, what's the resulting team there? There's also just so much overlap between Ja and Donovan Mitchell, two guys who operate best with the ball in their hands. It'd be way easier to fit, uh, again, Cade Cunningham next to Donovan Mitchell, uh, Jalen Brunson next to Donovan Mitchell, uh, a Kyle Lowry next to Donovan Mitchell, if you keep that. And there's, you know, you could run into some limitations when you're looking at Bam and Jimmy Butler and Donovan Mitchell, but like, it's just a little bit different. Um, none of those, like, John Morant is very much like the heart and soul of the Grizzlies offense and Butler, Lowry, even Bam, they have more experience playing off the ball, even during their times in Miami, but Lowry, of course, overall, I just don't, I don't love the fit. I think it could work. That's probably not the move I'm making. It would be like if a Donovan Mitchell, if it was Brandon Ingram, I'd feel a lot differently. That's basically, that's probably the best way to frame it. We've already talked about Miami, Milwaukee can't get involved. Uh, I don't know why Utah would want a, a distant first-round pick and then Drew Holiday uh, or Chris Middleton, who is injured at the moment. We'll actually get to him. Minnesota already has its its jazz on the roster. The Pelicans, I saw some people actually mention them. I'm not a fan of it. I just think, like, you have Brandon Ingram, you have CJ McCollum, you have Zion Williamson. Like, you have, you have enough shot creation from a standstill uh, on the run. You're fine. If you want to found Tunis as well, Devontae Graham. I don't think you go all in for this. It's different if it's Kevin Durant or if this type of player is, is sort of a wing or someone who allows Zion to shift to the five, but can he provides enough help room protection where Zion doesn't have to. Uh, Donovan Mitchell's not that, and so this doesn't feel like the all-in type of player for them. The Knicks we already went over. We're about to get to some of my favorite teams, which are off the beaten path, and I, I think I like Toronto more than most, but I would love to see OKC go in with you. We will... Chet Holmgren, Shea Gilgis-Alexander are bolted down. What do you want? How many picks? We've got Clippers picks. We've got Houston picks. We have one of the Jazz's picks. I think they have uh, Utah's 2024 first. They have a Philly pick. Uh, they have Josh Giddy. They have Alexei, Alexei Pokashevsky. Uh, they have Darius Baisley. They have both Jalen Williamses. Can't move Lou Dort at the moment. They, If they wanted to, look, Lou Dort, Donovan Mitchell, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Chet Holmgren, insert fifth player to be named later might need a little bit more shooting there, but my God, my God, I, I, it, they won't do it is my point, but that's a team. I look at the thunder or the next team I'm about to mention, which shout out to, I want to say it was Demos Quoll or Darkwing duck on our discord. Maybe one of them mentioned it, uh, that the magic would be a great destination. The thunder though, I would love it. It would just be so out of character, but th- that's the type of team where it's like, I feel better about them going after Donovan Mitchell because there's still so much room to grow for a bunch of their other players and their window in general. And also the Thunder specifically have so many fucking picks that they would even, if they gave Utah as much as you could imagine, they're going to have some left over to continue making moves. And they also haven't committed as many big long-term deals like the Knicks have. I feel better about a team like the Thunder going after Donovan Mitchell than I do the Knicks. You do have to factor in the politics of it all. Does Donovan Mitchell want to stay in OKC? Which is in part why it'd be tough to imagine them making a trade like this. The Magic would be so interesting. 
Uh, I just don't know where you start your offer. There's picks, and you have Chicago's 2025 pick. You have all, uh, excuse me, 2023 pick and Denver's 2025 pick. And then you have all your own picks moving forward. The tangible assets here, would you include Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner? What you're not getting out of this deal without including one of them. Uh, I think I would include either of them. I love Jalen Suggs. I believe I'm probably higher on him than the consensus. I feel like he got, he had some, uh, what was it, an ankle injury last year, and then they saddled him with a ton of on-ball control. I think he's going to have a really good sophomore season, in part because Paolo Banquero is there. But can you build an offer where it's, we, Paolo Banquero is no, and if we're giving you both Franz Wagner and Jalen Suggs, like, you're not getting a ton of draft equity. But if it's one of those guys and a bunch of draft equity, maybe the Jazz have some interest in Jonathan Isaac. Just his contract is a lot more team-friendly now with a non-guarantee. And if he hits, you have a real asset on your hands. And they have sort of those... I'll call them like a lot of the Nixie and mid-end assets where it's, you know, if if the Jazz are interested in Wendell Carter Jr. Wendell Carter Jr. is probably better than any non-RJ Barrett prospect on the Knicks. Although I think I'm falling irrationally in love with Quentin, Quentin Grimes if anyone cares about. You have Chumio Kiki. Uh, I don't think Cole Anthony would have a ton of value to the Jazz. Maybe they would value Markel Fultz a little bit. Um, they have Devin Kennedy as well. So like there are ways they could go. But if the framework is, you know, there would be some overlap with Suggs and Mitchell. Ideally, I would bolt down Suggs and or I shouldn't say ideally if I'm the magic I'm starting with Bancaro and Suggs are off limits take your pick of everyone else and we'll try to figure out and then we'll do the first round draft equity real picks and swaps to make it work if the Jazz insist on Suggs and I'm not giving up both him and, and Wagner I don't know that I could do it unless again the draft equity really isn't um, that cost prohibitive. Maybe that changes a little bit. Donovan Mitchell is that good, though, where I believe if you put him on a team like Orlando and he's there for the long haul, like you give this team the two or three years that they have with him, there's a legitimate force there. And I'm a huge believer in Paolo Bancaro. He was, doesn't mean much coming for someone like me. He was my consensus top prospect uh, and he looked a part of it in Summer League. Again, that's a team that would be so out of character to do this. Philly would be fun with Harden. Uh, Harden Mitchell, I I just don't know how you get there. Um, you do have you could trade your, you can't even trade your 2029 first round pick technically, um, unless it's conditional upon 2027 conveying to Brooklyn, which is conditioned upon the 2025 pick going to OKC. So like you're talking about one first round pick, future first round pick, uh, and like. Yeesh. It's just like, and then Tyrese Maxey and then Salary Filler and Matisse Thibel. I don't think that does it. Are the Jazz in love with Jaden Springer? There are swaps that you could include there. So, I mean, hooray for that. The package just doesn't, I think it falls well short. It would depend on how much the Jazz value Maxey. Do they think that he's going to be a better player than Donovan Mitchell? Because then that's where things would get interesting. But like Maxey, Harris, Thibel, and there'd have to be other salaries coming back from Utah just because Harris makes so much money there. Um, like, and then one first round pick and swaps is really what you can give up it at this point. I, um, that's like, that's not really doing it for me, to be honest. So, uh, that's where it would be a, you could do a 2024 swap and that's the only swap you can even guarantee. So, whew, yeah, that's, uh, you can do conditional swaps, I suppose, but that, yeah, that offer, it would be built entirely around maxi and I don't. I just don't think that's enough given the level of player Donovan Mitchell already is. I do think Tyrese Maxey, of all the assets we mentioned, uh, or players, excuse me, I really apologize, with the exception of maybe Jalen Suggs, but I'm going to say no. But with the exception of Scotty Barnes, he would be the single 
Maxi would be the single best a- asset that could realistically be involved. The difference is, I don't. The Raptors aren't giving up Scotty Barnes or Donovan Mitchell. If you laid out the framework of it was basically Maxi and then whatever else you can give up for Mitchell, I think the Sixers do it. So there's a chance that looking at like actual realistic negotiations. Forget what I said about the Pelicans, how you feel about Matherin, or if you thought they're not going to include Albert. Just realistic teams that could be involved. Maxi's probably the single best player, young player that, or even player in general. I mean, like what other you know big season name are you going to? Is a team giving up for Donovan Mitchell? There's just that he is that singular best player available in a Donovan Mitchell trade package. The Sixers just don't have a way to flesh the rest of it out. Phoenix, not happening. They have Devin Booker and Chris Paul, and they're going to be so involved in the KD sweepstakes. Simons and Miller are already in Portland. Sacramento with with Fox already there. Are you using Fox to try and get Mitchell and then giving up a bunch of firsts and um, Davion Mitchell to have Mitchell and Sabonis? That, that's just, that team doesn't fit. The Spurs are not on that timeline anymore after trading DeJounte Murray. I mentioned the Raptors. The team that I kind of like, Washington. You just re-signed Bradley Beal. Like, maybe it's time to to take that swing. Um, this would either need to be a bunch of separate transactions, or you could just wait until, I think, it's September 6th when Monte Morris and Will Barton can be aggregated in trades. But, like, you have, if you're looking for salary ballast, Will Barton, expiring deal. Uh, you have Kyle Kuzma. That's not salary ballast. Like, let's, let's actually go through the assets. Monte Morris, an asset on his current deal. Sorry, like, not someone you view as the centerpiece. Kyle Kuzma, expiring contract because he has a player option, but has real value. Denny Avdia, who I think could be one of the five best players, like prospects that would be available in a Donovan Mitchell trade. Uh, You also have Daniel Gafford, if the Jazz are looking to sort of plug some center needs. And then you owe your 2023rd first to New York. It's lottery protected next year, uh, top 12 and 24, top 10 and 25, top 9 and 26. So it's protected a great deal. But if you're the Jazz and they're going first allowable or maybe Washington can negotiate it with the Knicks so that's unprotected in 23, I don't know if the Knicks would help Washington get down to Mitchell. Like, you can build. If you have Avdia and you're throwing Monte Morris in there eventually, let's say Avdia, Gafford, Kuzma, uh, and so let's go Kuzma, Monte Morris, Avdia, Gafford, and then as many first-round picks as you could sort of stomach. Maybe your team loses some of its luster. I'd fight to keep Kuzma, I think, would be most important. You're just not getting out of this deal with Avdia um, still in your in your possession. So let's just say Morris, Avdia, Gafford, and then whatever filler is necessary. That's why you have Will Barton there. And all the picks, is that just... And let's just say, for argument's sake, it's first allowable draft. You'll give up 2025, 20, 27, 29, and then you can give up three swaps 24 26 and 28 that's if you can get the Knicks to just take 23 essentially Um, that's a really competitive offer and Donovan Mitchell and Bradley Beal are gonna be one of the worst defensive backcourts in the NBA probably Uh, but I think Mitchell can get better we've seen Beal have better defensive seasons than the past two years Uh, having Kristaps Porzingis behind them if you're able to keep Kuzma like there is there's something there I don't know what you top out as but you've kind of consigned yourself to topping out as you know, mediocre anyway, just by giving Bradley Beal a no trade clause, a trade bonus, the full five year max with a a player option on the fifth year. So, I think w- the Wizards would be a sneaky destination that I could see, or at least a team that would really go all in on a Mitchell trade. Where would I even knowing that Kyle Kuzma is going to free agency? Are they really going to get hung up in keeping Kyle Kuzma in these talks? But if you can make it so that the Knicks are just going to take 
23, um, or you're, or the Jazz will are okay with you saying first allowable terms, in which case they're banking on you making the playoffs next year, essentially. Uh, that that trade, I think, just becomes a lot more interesting because I think I think Denny Avdia could be really good. He's already one of the most underrated defenders in the NBA. I think there's a lot more playmaking he has to offer, some physicality on drives, shooting probably needs to improve. Uh, but and then they have like some like flyer throw-ins too that I don't think any of them amount. Johnny Davis, I can't believe I forgot about him. So like that's a first-round pick right there. Um, are they interested in Isaiah Todd? I doubt they're going to be interested in you know Rui Hachimura is a, a whatever ditto for. Uh, I mean maybe I mean Anthony Gill can't even be traded right now, so it doesn't matter. But that's it. I, I think the Wizards could be a dark horse here. But those are the destinations that we've gone through for Mitchell. Some of them are my favorite. Some of them are not. If I had to pick my favorites that I like, that I think should go after Mitchell. Uh, I like, and that could realistically at least get him. And I'm not even going to, like, fuck being real here. It's just the plausibility of if they wanted to throw their hat in the ring. Miami, of course. And then I love OKC and Orlando, Washington and Toronto. I think he'd be fine in New York. I think New York and Miami are probably the most realistic destinations here, if we're being honest. But my, my favorite ones would be I want to say Dallas, but they just don't, and Cleveland. I just can't imagine them having the horses to get in the race. But I'll give, I'll throw Cleveland in there just because, like, they at least have, like, real assets other than their picks to offer. So let's go Cleveland, Miami, OKC, Orlando, and Washington. I think I like them in Washington a little bit better than, and I'll throw Toronto in there. Those are just my six teams, but I think you need to keep an eye on the Knicks, certainly, as well in there. Did I just name everybody but the Knicks? That's kind of that's kind of fucked up. No, there's Dallas in there. Again, I don't think in Atlanta, Boston, Brooklyn, those teams aren't going to get involved. If Brooklyn wanted to get involved, Ben Simmons has to go somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, so the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes, they have begun, apparently, or they've been underway for quite a while. Keep your eyes peeled on that. Uh, did just mention the Nets and already mentioned that the Heat are apparently doing whatever they're trying, with whatever they can to get Kevin Durant. This is going to be one of those podcasts where I'm talking way too fast, by the way. I've tried to take the reviews to heart, but it's just not, it's just not working when I get apparently rolling like this or when it's 4 o'clock in the morning Eastern time. Anywho, uh, so Brian Lewis of the New York Post had a report from a source close to Kyrie Irving that says he doesn't want – he never asked for a trade. Uh, one of the quotes from this was, how did we get into this situation about trade when he opted in, the source asked rhetorically. Here's the situation. He opted in, which means he had – and he has every intention of playing with the Brooklyn Nets. Katie decides he wants out, and now everybody is talking about trading Kyrie, right? Kyrie has not asked for a trade. Now, if the Nets don't want him, that's something totally different. Kyrie has not said he wants a trade. He opted in. So where did the trade conversations come from? Okay, this is, I have no doubt, Brian Lewis, he's plugged in with the Nets. He's been around them for a while. Um, shout out to him. This logic is so fucking stupid. Kyrie Irving did not give this like unheard of display of allegiance by opting in. He opted in because the alternative was taking the taxpayer mid-level exception from the Lakers, a difference of more than $30 million in salary. That's why he's in Brooklyn. They gave him permission to suss out sign and trade scenarios or teams that wanted him. He, he didn't find any. And now we're even hearing rumors about the Lakers are the only team that would actually want to trade for him in the first place. Let's stop pretending that Kyrie Irving opted in and now it's the Nets that don't want him. He didn't want they don't want each other. There's no I'm not even trying to come up with a protagonist in this situation. The Nets fucked up. KD fucked up. I don't want to hear about the Lakers. I don't feel bad for Kyrie in any of this. There are so many failures from so many different parties, but Kyrie wanting to play for the Nets, no, he doesn't want to play 
for the Nets. And we like there's no justification in he opted in so he wants to be there. No, he opted in because he had no other fucking options. That's why Kyrie Irving is still in Brooklyn. If Kyrie Irving had his druthers, he would have he would have found, I have no doubt he would have wanted a sign and trade from a team that could work it. I have no doubt that the Lakers would have signed and traded for him, but doing that and working within the confines of the hard cap and having AD and LeBron was virtually impossible, if not outright impossible, unless he was going to take a pretty sizable pay cut. And maybe the Nets even then the Lakers trade assets were Russell Westbrook as the primary salary ballast. It would have taken probably so many teams to make it work. This is just like this is the spins are getting lazy when they're coming from sources. Like we need to, like, can we at least be creative about it where it used to feel like, or maybe I was just ignorant back then, but that the reporting just wasn't so like transparently wrong and not even on, this is not a shot at Brian Lewis. It's just the actual justification from the source. Like, can you come up with something more creative or at least lie about the backstory of, yeah, he was never acknowledged that he was never looking for a sign and trade. He always wanted to be here. Come on. KD asked for a trade in part because of a report reportedly anyway, how the Nets treated Kyrie Irving. I fully believe that given how committed KD seems to Kyrie Irving, but I'm not trying to get inside these players' minds. It's just clear the order of operations and the way in which this happened. Kyrie doesn't want to be in Brooklyn. And again, even if this isn't about him wanting out from Brooklyn, he opted in because he had no other options. It's a one-year commitment to the Nets where maybe it made it more likely that they would trade him to the Lakers because they, uh, the Lakers didn't have to worry about the hard cap then or that another team would roll the dice in acquiring him midseason. This was not him being loyal to the franchise he always wanted to play for and, and doing right. Opting in is not a real commitment when you were trying to find your way out and it's only one extra year. A commitment would have been hashing out a long-term deal. That goes for both Brooklyn. And Kyrie, by the way, the Nets didn't want to pay Kyrie long-term. Kyrie didn't want to sign long-term for what they were offering. If I if they gave him a max deal for the full boat, I think he probably would have signed it. But that's not loyalty. That's he wanted his max deal. And you know what? He's entitled to want his max deal. I'm not, I'm not going to implore players to take the type of pay cut that James Harden did with Philly. I do think his new salary is more in line with how he valuable he was last season. But... He, on an open market where there was cap space, there would have been, or even this market, if he wanted to leave Philly, there would have been a team that gave him his max. They would have figured out a way to create space. It wouldn't have been Detroit. It probably wouldn't have been San Antonio or Orlando. There would have been a team that figured out a way to give James Harden his max. So he did take a pay cut. I'm not saying Kyrie should have done that to stay with the Nets. I don't care. You don't need to be loyal in this business. Teams aren't going to be loyal to you. Ask Blake Griffin about loyalty. Ask KG how loyalty burned him in, in Minnesota. You don't need to be loyal. I'm not criticizing Kyrie Irving for that. I'm I'm raging against the idea that he displayed some type of allegiance or, you know, championed some higher form or like of morality by just opting into his contract to make the most money possible next year because the only other option was taking a pay cut to play somewhere else in free agency since he clearly couldn't find any sign-and-trade partners, at least that he wanted to go to. Maybe there were teams that were willing to acquire him, I'll tell you right now, it wasn't the Knicks. And it might have been the Lakers. Was it the Mavericks? I Probably not. Who knows? But did he want to go to any places that were willing to pay him, insofar as those even existed? I've had, I'm just so, I've had enough of the Kyrie Irving news cycle in general. He is so, uh, Dan Lebatard had a conversation about how, um, and I, Dan Lebatard is just one of the best people in this business when you're talking about uh, people who, one, are able to verbalize what they're thinking. But I had, just have so much respect for him. He did have something a few weeks back, I think, about on how 
some of what Kyrie, the stuff Kyrie Irving has said holds weight and it gets dismissed because of everything that's happened. I don't think that's unfair to say. I think it would be unfair to dismiss when Kyrie has made good points. The Disney bubble being one of them when he was talking about um, social justice, racism, all that. But we also don't, it's easy to separate like what's just like f fucking wild and obscene and annoying and insufferable like his stance against the the vaccine or the fact that he is now submarine the third team and it was eminently avoidable in this situation even if you thought it was it couldn't be avoided in cleveland or boston even though it probably could have uh young young player makes mistakes like this was just remarkably avoidable uh no i don't have patience for that and i don't have patience for like some of the bullshit he spews where it feels like he wants to be this uh i have no doubt that he's a smart guy but like your foe uh curiosity or intellectualism like these de decoded tweets that you need to get that tool out of a cereal box to look at and you can kind of see what the message is and it still doesn't make any fucking sense it's like a horoscope tripping on acid and it's like having being in a rocking chair like you're just sitting there doing something not going anywhere that's what it feels like reading Kyrie Irving Instagram captions or or tweets so the whole Kyrie net situation it's on everyone it's not it's not just Kyrie's fault but I we need to dismiss this narrative that Kyrie opted in. Yeah, he was prepared to play for the Nets. That wasn't his first choice. And you don't get to re-spin the narrative now because the Nets have decided, and I would argue inexplicably, you turned over control of this organization to KD and Kyrie years ago. You should have stuck with that that route. If you, know, if you weren't prepared to stomach it, then you shouldn't have signed them in the first place. But everything from letting Kenny Atkinson leave to starting DeAndre Jordan over Jared Allen, like the, to going all in for James Harden and then having to move James Harden, like you have kowtowed to these players. Kevin Durant, who is the type of transcendent player who, you know, if that's the type of say he needs to have so that you can have Kevin Durant, I get why you give it to him. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight back against it. But if you want, if you didn't want to do that, there's no, you know, admirability in coming to that decision three years later, three plus years later, and now you have to tear it down. So this is not just about Kyrie Irving, but this idea that Kyrie Irving wants to be with the Nets, uh, really just, really just laughable. Uh, the last news note I wanted to cover, actually two Bucks news notes here. Pat Conton signed a three-year, $30 million extension with the Bucks. I'm still, I apparently had no feel for this year's market, and I'm getting increasingly worse at having a feel for what players are going to get paid. He picked up his $5.7 million player option. So this is essentially a four-year, $36 million deal. He's not signed for the next four years at less than the non-taxpayers mid-level exception. I just thought relative to the wing market, there would have been teams that gave him the full mid-level exception, and a four-year deal on that would have been worth into the 40s. So closer to, you know, P.J. Tucker got three years and $33 million from the Sixers. Um, Pat Connaughton got four years and $36 million from the Bucs. That's just, P.J. Tucker has proved himself over again, but Connaughton's younger at 29, so this is going to take him through his, I think it's his age 33, might be his age 34 season at this point. I think he just wrapped up his age 29. I'll double check as I'm recording that. But he came super valuable to the Bucs um, even before the, the Chris Middleton injury. Just someone who can play defense. He's only 6'5", but he's going to give you actual wing defense. Shot the three ball really well uh, the past few seasons, but last season specifically 39.5% on 5.7 attempts. 60.5% of his twos. There is some really uh, explosion to his game if he's going to um, go downhill or even just around the basket incredibly valuable. And so, yeah, this takes him through his age 34 season. Maybe age came into play with that, but I thought he would have gotten paid more. This is, it's a bargain for the Bucks. Maybe he's happy with his role there. 
Uh, he did win a championship with the Bucks. Why wouldn't you be happy with his role there? Uh, so real estate connoisseur Ben, uh, real estate connoisseur um, Pat Connaughton is staying with the Milwaukee Bucks for the next four years. Is under a four-year deal. That's big time for them because they do need wing help. But in other Milwaukee Bucks news and uh, less savory news at that, it was announced today that Chris Middleton uh, underwent wrist surgery uh, to repair a ligament in his left wrist. Uh, this comes after he had the, I think it was the left knee injury during the, the playoffs that uh, caused him to miss the the rest of the Bucks postseason. And look, if they have him in that Celtics series, there's a real chance that maybe the Bucks are champions right now, or they were at least the team that was repping the East in the finals. So uh, yeah, it was a left knee sprain for Middleton. Uh, this sucks. They did say that they anticipate him to be ready like around the start of the regular season. And so you're talking about someone who it doesn't sound like he's going to be available for training camp. Uh, he's coming back from a knee injury, now a wrist injury, uh, going to turn 31 in August. This is a game that should age well anyway. There's no long-term concern there. Uh, just something to monitor. Can they figure out a way to maybe get another wing? And I think his presence, along with Connaughton, um, and then, of course, having Drew Holiday allows you to downsize in ways where it's like, if even if Giannis is playing with Bobby Portis, or maybe you wanted to downsize to the point where Giannis is really the de facto five, it just it gets a lot harder to do that now because Joe Ingles, who you signed, I liked the signing, but he's probably out until February. Now you're not going to have Chris Middleton, I would guess, to start the season. Uh, you start to run out of wings really quickly. It's very good for them that they brought back Wesley Matthews. Uh, myself and Ty Windish from the Eurostep podcast will be elated that maybe Marshawn Bochamp gets to have some rep reps. If he hits the three ball at like a league average clip in the NBA, based off what he can do inside the arc and like, I'll call it malleability because I don't know if it's necessarily scalable, but he's definitely flexible on the defensive end. Um, I think the number 24 pick, he has a chance to be one of the bigger steals we look back upon. Uh, maybe he gets some early rotation minutes. Are you leaning just a lot on Grayson Allen? That's that's an issue. Uh, are you able to acquire another wing somehow as a result of all these trades that seem like they're going to go down? I mean, Utah doesn't doesn't really have any wings that would help you, if we're being honest. Malik Beasley would definitely be a defensive upgrade over a, a Grayson Allen if that's the minutes you're sort of looking at. Uh, you would have to defend. You would have to play either Connaughton or Beasley up a ton since they're both kind of like twos i trust content actually more at the three um as a decision maker defensively than beasley even though his physical tools are better uh, maybe there are cheaper wings what does it take to get Cameron williams out of okc he would help milwaukee a ton right now uh jay crowder's availability is loaded out a ton in phoenix you could probably justify if deandre Ayton's leaving and maybe phoenix doesn't get a big back does brooke lopez for jay crowder make sense uh that's a lot to give up for the bucks because brooke lopez is really important to what they're doing too playing alongside Giannis as my voice cracks my whole point is I'm not I don't have a long-term concern here it's if Chris Middleton's good for the playoffs the Bucks need to be no worse than the third favorite to come out of the east there's Boston there's Milwaukee and like that's it for me right now I'm coming very close to maybe putting Philly in that um just James Harden doing the about face into like a protagonist uh he's in shape took a 15 million dollar pay cut I'm not endorsing it but I'm just like the, the the story behind it so that the Sixers can get PJ Tucker and Daniel House use the mid-level, uh, non-taxpayer mid-level, and, and the biannual both. Uh, and then the fact that he left Brooklyn because of Kyrie, and I just can't stand Kyrie, he's quickly become uh, a protagonist for me. And I, I was never one to really despise James Harden to begin with. I know a lot of people don't like him based off his, I guess, the way he left Houston and Brooklyn, which, you know, fair, um, based off his party life or the way he's come 
into camp out of shape at points where it seems like he's always working his way into shape. And then, of course, his playoff follies. Uh, fantastic player, though. I'm just I'm not ready to put Philly there, and I don't think there's anyone else, even Atlanta, post-DeJounte, have higher hopes for Cleveland this year. Chicago stays healthy. Miami's probably the closest. Miami or Toronto. Miami, Toronto, and Philly are like that tier, but it's Milwaukee and Boston, and we don't need... I don't know if people are forgetting to talk about Milwaukee, but because they're absent, this huge splash in free agency, and now Middleton's injured, uh, and because of the fact that Boston is just the toast of the East at this point, at this point, and again, they made a big move with Brogdon. The Sixers made some bigger moves with Tucker. Daniel House, Melton's going to be fantastic for them. Miami may be ending up with Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell. If they get them, yeah, we'll relitigate this, but it's, it's Boston and Milwaukee and everyone else still in the East to me. And I think Philly, Miami are the closest there. Maybe, maybe Toronto. This was great. I went too long on just those few news rumors nuggets. If this was your first time checking us out, please throw us that permanent subscription um, on YouTube. That helps us out a ton. We're trying to build a community ambitious uh, subscriber goal. So if you're listening to this via podcast, head over to YouTube, hit that subscribe button, like, and comment on all our videos to juice the algorithm. If you're listening or watching this on YouTube, please Head over to the po- your podcast player and subscribe to Hardware Knox is there. Leave a rating and review. Anything you can do to help us continue building this community, gain more exposure, is immensely appreciated. Uh, you've seen all my social handles. They're in the podcast description, YouTube description. Get at me. Ask me any questions. I try and stay engaged. Join our Discord. The link to that is in the YouTube and podcast descriptions as well. If you're new around here, get ready for my favorite part of every podcast, which is when we leave you. I don't like leaving you, but I enjoy leaving you with a shout-out to the one, the only, the actual single most important trade asset, tangible trade asset that could be available in Donovan Mitchell talks. But maybe he's not available because I wouldn't want to get rid of him if I'm a Dallas Mavericks. Frank Mila Keenan.